Well, good morning, ladies. Here we are, lesson number six. We have one more left, and I was just discussing with Marcia that if you only consider the Beatitudes in the time we're here, we've had 14 hours in the Sermon on the Mount. That's a lot, and that doesn't take into account what you've done at home or thought about later. So I think that's pretty cool. And you think about the disciples sitting there listening it all in one, one chunk of time. I don't know. Did Jesus allow questions or what, you know what I mean? You just think about, wonder what happened, how, how long. But um, today we're looking at judgment. And your outline, if you're joining us at home, should say treating others well. We're on week six. And um, let's just start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this sermon. Thank you that um, you would give us direction and um, let us know what the expectation is and, and also let us know that we're not alone in it. And I just, I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth that um, guides us every day. And may we be students of your word, always, always trying to improve and working and yielding to the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I ask today that as I teach and as we learn that you would just be so obviously with us and just be a comfort to us, Lord. And I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. So, as we've always said when we start, is that Jesus has given, us, has given us a set of standards where he's talking about, this is what I want my kingdom people to do. And he's consistently focused on the heart of the matter, always looking at the heart. And the same is true for judgment today, looking at the heart of where our judgments come from and, and why we're judging other people. Um, that's opposite of what the Pharisees were doing, right? That was all about external deeds and um, having a focus on outwardly, you know, righteousness and maybe even fake, right? So looking at the heart, when I was um, studying, I came across this quote by Oswald Chambers. Now, I have to tell you a funny story. I, someone had given me an Oswald Chambers study, and I couldn't do it. It was years ago, and it was just so lofty. I felt ugh, hordes of condemnation. I just couldn't do it. So I'm always like leery of him and I, I might be able as I've grown him, you know, the knowledge to be able to do him, but I thought this was a cool quote. It says, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. Like we just said, we're not alone in this, right? The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. And I thought, is the Holy Spirit getting his way with me? You know, something to think about and kind of self-assess. Um, if you try to do this on your own human effort, it, it won't work. So that's why we always need to go back to asking for help, seeking out the Lord, you know? And today, we're going to do a little self-assessment because it really fits well with judgment. So I'm going to have Justin put on the, the screen that we're going to kind of review a little bit, just real quickly with words. And I want you to find on the halfway down to your sheet, you have a plank. Because if anybody read ahead, we're going to be talking about a plank in our eye. So you have two lines for each slide that comes up. I want you to honestly look at this and say, what areas could I grow? So you look at porn. Meekness, hunger and thirsting after righteousness, being merciful, having a pureness of heart, peacemaking, and persecution, dealing with persecution. If you had to pick one of those that you could say to the Holy Spirit, that you could talk to God about and be like, 
I need some growth in this area. Write that underneath your plank. We're going to use it later. The plank is like a piece of wood halfway down with two lines underneath it. It looks like a spear. Oh, like it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so just pick one of those, and we're going to do just one per side. You might have more. I don't know, but just pick one. And then the next slide we're going to look at, um, being the salt and the light, working on anger, lust issues, divorce, loving enemies, truthfulness, making sure your acts of righteousness are for God, and then giving to the needy. If these are areas, pick one that you would, you would say, I, I, need some, I need some help. And then go ahead and go to the next one. And these last four, you know, maybe you need some assistance in your prayer life. Um, maybe to think about fasting, serving one master. Marcia talked about that last week, and worry. Are these areas that you might need some assistance from the Holy Spirit? And then write those. And I look at it and I think, boy, we covered a lot. You know, we have really 14 hours we have talked about these things. And I'm so glad that we don't have to do this all on our own. So let's just put that aside and then jump into the lesson. We're going to use that a little bit later. All right, so today we're talking about judgment. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, I was looking up stuff online. What do you think, I mean, this is pretty obvious, but what do you think most people say they do not like about Christians? They're hypocritical. They're judgy. Right? Those were the top two things that were said. So um, we're going to look at the day. What does Jesus mean by do not judge? Has anybody, you don't have to answer per se, but have, have you faced that? Well, like, you can't judge me. You're, God says you can't judge me. You know, kind of that may be thrown back in your face a little bit, or even amongst Christians maybe, like, you can't judge. So I really want to look at what does it mean. You know, does it mean that um, we're to be tolerant of all sin? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is it, a, is it a blanket statement that all judgment is wrong? Because judgment's a pretty big word. Does it mean that I'll do my thing, you do your thing, and nobody say anything about it? You know, is that what he means? So we really need to narrow down what does he mean by it? Because if you just take it out of context, it might look like a blanket statement. Do not judge, but judgment's a big word. So I have put it down into two different categories. One is moral discernment. You'll see it on your, um, the table there. And the other one is personal condemnation. I want to look at those two forms of judgment. So moral discernment is the ability to know what is good from bad, what is right from wrong, but truth has to be your guide. And by truth, we as Christians mean the word. It can't be our opinions or what we think or our biases from what's happened in our life. It has to be based off truth. So knowing good from bad, do you think Jesus is saying, I don't want you to know good from bad? I don't want you to make moral discernment judge judgments? No, that's not what he's saying. And we know that by Scripture. So if you go down to Matthew 6, 
he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But obviously, we have to make a judgment on who are the dogs, who are the pigs that he's referring to. If you go down a little further there um, in chapter 7, verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothes, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So obviously there, you're you're making a judgment there. Who is false or not, and it's based on truth. And then the Philippians verse I wrote out for you, because this is actually Paul praying for more discernment, more moral discernment. And it says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ the glo- to the glory and praise of God. So it's one thing to have judgment where you're standing on truth, and it's quite another then to have personal condemnation. Those two things are very different, right? So when you have personal condemnation, we're talking about, you know, having disrespect for image bearers of God, you know, having, um, not giving the other person dignity, you know, and, and coming up to um, a quick judgment. And, and what it's described when I was um, looking it up is it says it's a posture issue. It's assuming the posture of God. So if I'm on this side, and we have a line in the sand, and Jesus is on this side, and here's my fellow Christians, or here's, you know, the people that we live around, it's me going on the side with Jesus and saying, don't you agree, Jesus? They're kind of an idiot. They kind of need to be put out. You know, they kind of need heaps of judgment and harshness on them. But Jesus says, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. I am God, and you are not. And he knows deeper into the heart than we ever could, right? He knows all circumstances surrounding the person that maybe we're having the issue with. So personal condemnation is assuming a posture of God when we're called to be kingdom people, not rulers of the kingdom. So that's the personal condemnation is like um, just having that, when you look in your heart, it's, it's an unloving feeling towards another person is basically what it is, that harshness that comes. And I can easily say that we've probably all judged somebody harshly. We've probably all had this as a problem or we maybe have been judged harshly. So um, an instance maybe that I can think of in my own life is um, I went to a Catholic school where all families were seemingly perfect to me, and I'm sure I blew that out of proportion in my head, right? I was a little girl, but I didn't have a dad, and people knew it, and I was embarrassed of it, and I felt judged by it. Whether it was actually happening or not, I don't know. But you know what I mean? We've all been in situations where you maybe have been judged incorrectly. So that's just an example of it. And what attributes have we learned, you know, all these things that we just listed, have we learned that would definitely go against the posture of condemnation? Yes, humility, meekness. We talked about um, being peacemakers, being merciful, you know, loving neighbor as yourself, mourning over your own sin. Because when you're mourning over your own sin, it's really hard to stand in judgment of somebody else. And we're going to talk about that in a second, too. Um, in James 4, 
Now we're on the side of personal condemnation on your chart there. James 4, 11 through 12 says, <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you are sitting in judgment on it. Okay, so what he's saying there is if you are failing to love somebody else, and slander's like next level of condemnation, right? That's taking it to... We just talked about a couple weeks ago, I was teaching about anger, you know, calling someone a fool. That's like the heart of murder, right? So slander is like that. But James is saying if you're failing to love somebody else and you're judging them, you're breaking the law because the law summed up is, you know, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. And then he continues on and says, there's only one lawgiver and judge. And the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your own neighbor? So we need to be careful about who we think we are. Tearing somebody down to build ourselves up. We really need to think about judgment. And a lot of times I think we're good girls and we can keep it in our head. But Jesus, again, is getting to the heart of the matter. Where is that coming from? It's breaking the law, right? When you're contrary to loving somebody else, that's breaking it. And then another example I wrote out there is Romans 2, 1 through 3. And that's Paul saying, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. And why is that? Because we all fall short. We all have issues. So if you're condemning someone else, likely you've maybe done it yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And um, so let's go to, I just feel like I teach this whole thing. We didn't even read the scripture. So let's go to uh, Matthew 7 and read 1 through 6. It says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So for the same way that, you know, it will be done to you, doesn't that sound a lot like um, the blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So if you're going to judge, then you're going to have the same measurement of judgment and to be looking at that. And what we want to say, I've asked this when I taught merciful, we use the same scripture, is that how do you want to be judged by God? With justice or with mercy? Mercy. We'll say mercy every single time. You, could, you can circle that in exclamation mark because that's how we have been. We have been given mercy. That's how we're judged. And so therefore, we need to extend it to other people. So when Jesus says, do not judge, He's talking about an unloving, you're posturing yourself like your God and coming down on other people with a dose of hypocrisy, right? Because you have the same issues that you're judging other people. Maybe they're different, but we all fall short. That's the point. You know, does that make sense? 
And then if you look at John 3.16, we know that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, um, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, have eternal life. But if you keep going, it says, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus, perfect, is not here to condemn us. Why do we then? Why do we then condemn other people or think we have the right? And I think sometimes it's easier in our fleshly selves. When someone comes up, you make your judgment, you put it in your head, whether you say it outwardly or not. It's another thing to have a pause in your spirit and to be like, there's other things that could be happening to this person. How can I love them better? Let me look at myself and see if I have some of the same issues. You know, that kind of thing. It's a little bit harder maybe to pause and, and think about love, but we're called to do it. We're called to love well. And a very good example of Jesus not condemning I want to look at is John 7. So if you want to turn to that. It's at, I made a mistake there, actually. It's John 8. So turn to John 8. And this, of course, is the woman who's caught in adultery when Jesus draws you know, the line in the sand. So John 8. Oh, boy, that's not right either. Don't judge me. John 8, 1, 1 through 11 is what it is. Yikes, sorry about that. So John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. There, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So there's a good example of... Um, Jesus not condemning her for what she had done. He didn't come to this world to condemn. He came to save. He's there to save her from her sins and lead her. Notice there, he did not just act like it wasn't happening. He told her, leave your life of sin. He called out that, that sin, what you're doing, and your direction is to leave that life of sin. Okay, wanting well, to keep that in the back of your mind. Jesus did not come to condemn. Who, though, did he get I want to use the right word, harsh. Who did he come down on when you think about who he really got after? The Pharisees, because they were so hypocritical and so judgmental and so outwardly trying to be self-righteous, you know. And so, but how did Jesus treat people with planks in their eyes? With mercy. He came alongside them, just like this woman, you know, saved them. 
So the next section that we're going to talk about is the vision impairment. And this is Matthew 3. We should probably go back to Matthew here. Matthew um, 7, 3 through 5. I'm going to read it one more time. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And so from that story that we just read, he's saying to them, Whoever hasn't sinned, then just throw the cat, you know, throw the first stone. And then the old, did you notice that the older ones walked away? Are they wiser or they just had more sin? I don't know. <laughs> um, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Okay, so Marsha's going to come and help me. So we built our planks. You have your plank there. I, I built an imaginary plank because I was thinking about this. So here's some of, my, some of my issues, okay? So here's my plank, and Marcia has her, her plank. <laughs> and I notice it, and I, was, I, I come to her, and I'm like, Marcia, really, you're not too faithful. I, you worry, and, and God tells us not to worry, and you're not a good Christian, right? Why is this so ridiculous? Here, here let me remove it. Let me get after that, <laughs> you know? And I think that Jesus is, you know, he's kind of being funny. Like, this is preposterous. How do you think, you know, you need to be a lumberjack before you can go do surgery on your brother, right? And so obviously, judgments aren't going to come quick, right? Those quick judgments probably aren't the ones Jesus is saying, you know, help a brother out. Your quick judgment is more likely silly and ridiculous because you have your own business you can't help out your neighbor until you figure out yourself. And that's what he calls you to do. He says, you hypocrite. In verse 5 there. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now notice, he's not saying don't ever judge. Don't ever help them get their speck out. Right? Do you see that in verse 5? Where he's saying, first deal with your issues, and then you'll be able to see clearly to help somebody else. And how true is that? If I'm a strong worrier and the Lord, the Holy Spirit has worked in me to overcome that, how much more room is there to come around somebody else and say, I know it stinks to worry. It really sucks the life out of you. I've been there and here's why. And this is what Jesus did. And I just want to come with you, sister. And let's posture towards Jesus instead of trying, you know, let's, Jesus help us. We have planks. You know, there's a difference there. That's a different kind of judgment than boy, you're faithless. Holy Spirit's definitely not working in you. Or you're not yielding very well. You worry. You know, something like that. So I think we're called to judge, but we're called to judge well. Judge well with love, not condemnation. So we need to be lumberjacks before we can be surgeons. And I didn't make that up. That Pastor Fry was watching. I just thought it was so great. So when you're Someone's coming up to you and you're like, oh, lumberjack, lumberjack. Because you don't need to be the surgeon until you figured out your own business. So how do we judge correctly? Jesus tells us in verse 5 that we can help people take the specks of sawdust out of their eye. But what do we need to do first? So number one there says we need to be, um, we need to judge correctly in humility. So you would write in humility there. And that's what we've just been studying. The reference is all, you know, all right there. And when you, self, you are self-aware, you can't judge in hypocrisy. It has to be in humility. It has to be looking at 
what you have been given mercy from by the Lord and what he's working on you to then extend it to somebody else and be humble about what you too go through before you're so quick to judge. So number one is we have to judge correctly. We have to have humility. Number two, I would say from this example is with hesitancy. With humility first and then hesitancy. And in John 7, 24, it says, Stop judging by mere appearance, but instead judge correctly. So if you're not judging by appearance, what are you judging by? Yeah, maybe by actions, maybe by the heart. And if you're, if you're going to judge somebody by the heart, you're going to need to do what? Before I can judge you, and know your heart. I'm going to have to look at your own heart and get to know your circumstances. You know, it cannot be these quick judgments. I have to come alongside you. I need to come in and get to know who you are first to understand. You know, there has to be, we have to do it with truth. We have to get all the facts. We have to, um, you know, not be quick to assess. It has to be hesitant to get to know and have this timely process of, you know, why is this happening? What are the circumstances? How can I come alongside you in a loving way? How can I understand who you are? So number one is with humility. Number two is with hesitancy. And number three is with the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if we turn to 1 Corinthians 5, this is where this comes from because Paul here is frustrated, and we, we went over this before um, Marcia's taught on this, because it's talking about how mad he is that this church is letting people, he's, they're tolerant. They're tolerant to these the sexual immorality, that, morality that's happening. And um, Paul definitely says, you need to judge them, but he says in verse 5, actually, I'm going to start in 1, and so you can get a grasp of the whole situation. So 1 Corinthians 5, it says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather be filled with grief and put out of your, and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present." When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. So Paul there in verse 4 is clearly saying that you need to have the Lord present. You're gathered in the name of the Lord, and the Lord Jesus is present. So you need to have... Christ's power and the Holy Spirit when you're going to make a judgment because you have to have the leading. You have to have truth. And that isn't, again, it isn't quick. It's through prayer and petition of how am I going to come alongside somebody who's hurting? I need to have the leading of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, 100%. And then number four is it has to be, if you're going to judge correctly, it has to be with the aim to restore. Not I'm calling you out because it makes me feel better. And obviously that's not where the Holy Spirit would lead. But your whole aim has to be, I know the pain of dealing with what you're dealing with. I understand how it's getting in the way of your faith journey. And I want you back 
in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So the aim has to be to restore. And he says that, um, hand this man over so that the sinful nature may be destroyed. Right? That's the purpose of your judgment. Those are the things you have to think about for judgment. Now, um, oh, and then number four, Galatians 6, one that says, um, the spiritual should restore the, transgen- the transgressor gently. That's another verse. There's lots of supporting verses on this, but um, those are the two that I thought would be um, most prevalent to this. Now, when you look at this verse, and Marcia had this last week where it seemingly looks like, why did Jesus put um, the pearl of the pig statement in there? So let's go back to Matthew. It looks like it doesn't fit. Like, what, what does pearl of the pigs have to do with it? So he goes all through this judgment. Don't be, don't be a hypocrite. First take, you know, look at your own stuff, and then you can help your brother. And then in verse 6 there, he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Does anyone know why this would be in there? What's the meaning of it, and how does it relate? It's talking about you have to use discernment with who you're sharing with others. So if you see somebody else, they might not be ready for the whole gospel, even though you've been helped by the gospel. They, they might not be ready, and it might turn around and backfire on you completely, right? So it's about having that discernment and having that judgment of who am I going to share the precious, sacred gospel with? You know, and I have to be discerning that it's not, um, obviously we're supposed to share with unbelievers, right? That's not what it's saying. But it's saying someone who doesn't even have the same value, you're not going to go try to help them because it could turn around and really just come back at you in a bad way. You know, and, and you, I think you, have you ever had that where you're just like, I, I know this is not an appropriate time to share the gospel. You just know that it's not going to be well received, it's going to come back and it's going to be a big verbal match that just isn't going to give justice to what the sacredness of the gospel is. And I think it's also here about, um, it's that whole idea of building relationships before you're just pounding on the gospel to people. You know, getting taking time, that hesitancy, getting to the truth, getting to the heart of the matter, and, and building relationship before blasting and just throwing it out, throwing your pearls, you know, throwing your pearls out. So that's, that's what I think is happening here. That's why it's included in the portion. I don't think it's just random. So, take a deep breath, because now we're moving on to ask, seek, and knock. So, some of you know, because we've talked about it, but over this past last four days or so, I have been at a lot of basketball games, traveling, and I've seen a lot of um, coach-type motivation, like, we're down to the four minutes, we can do this, come on, we're here, and because usually I'm sitting behind the bleachers, and sometimes you're hearing blasting things you don't want to hear, but lots of times you're hearing encouragement of, we can do this, we got this, hey, you know, you, you can do this. And at the beginning of this lesson, we went through so much stuff. We have gone so far with the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is sitting in one session with his disciples and saying all this stuff to them. You know, we've done 14 hours of it and more on our own, right? So here I feel like this is kind of Jesus saying, you can do this. And I'm here for you. Ask, seek, knock, come to me. This is like the final 
the end of it. This is him saying, we've talked about prayer already, and I've told you how to pray, but I'm not joking about it. Let's talk about it again, because in order to do this, in order to come alongside people and get messy with them and talk about their hard times and judge them correctly and bring them back into fellowship and to be able to be loving like I need you to be loving, come to me. I am here. And this is what he says, so let's read it. This is Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock at the door, will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to you, those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, ask, seek, and knock. And that's the A, the S, and the K for your outlines there. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and the door will be opened. And as you fill those in, I want you to think about Marsha's lesson last week. Um, At the bottom of Matthew 6 there, it says... um, the Father knows that what you need, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This whole sermon is about his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek these things that I'm teaching you. Seek these things out, and then the good things will come to you. This is my expectation, and seek it out, and I'm here to help you. He is giving us direction and saying, I'm here for you. I'm your father. Like a father would come around his son, say, I'm here for you. If you ask me for help, I'm going to give it to you. And Jesus, God, discerns the good gifts. Not everything we ask is good, right? And he doesn't give us certain things, but he assures us that he's the good father, better than our earthly fathers, which is marvelous for me. (laughs) You know? So um, I want to look here, if, if we break this apart and we say, What does this passage tell us about God? From start to finish, what does it say about God? Let's just name things off. That he loves us. That he cares about us. That he's accessible. He's there. Knock, seek, ask. Ask, seek, knock. What else does it say? He's generous. He gives good gifts. I would say trustworthy. He will provide what we need. He is holy. So then what does it say, what does it tell us about ourselves? It does tell us in verse 11 that we're evil, (laughs) that we're a broken people. That we're needy. That we have access. It also tells us that we're adopted. He's our father, your father in heaven. So if you look at your outline, Romans 8, 15 through 16 there, It says, the spirit you received 
does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we may cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And this verse says, we can go to our Father in heaven. After this long dissertation of what the expectations are, what the direction is, that it's hard for us alone, it says, we are not alone. And it's like this last hurrah of ask, seek, and knock. Um, in Isaiah 49 there, I thought this was sweet. This is when Zion was thinking, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten. But Isaiah reminds them, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? And the answer is yes. Though she may forget, God said, and he, Isaiah is quoting from a previous scripture, God said, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand, and your walls are ever before me. So as we walk through what we've learned on the Sermon on the Mount, it's imperative because it's, if you look at it alone in your human strength, it looks like perfect. I have to be perfect. But he is able and make it possible to work in you. And when he works within you, you can come alongside people and help them and show the grace that you've been extended and extend it to others. So how should we respond? Well, we should ask, seek, and knock, right? And don't give up, and don't be afraid, and trust in our Father. That he might not be poof or magically all better, but he's working it out. He is working it out. We are works in progress. And then in the very end there, another set of, uh, another little verse here that you feel like seemingly doesn't fit, but it does fit. He says, so in everything... Do to others that you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So after saying everything that he said, I almost feel like he's saying, don't sweat it. I'm here with you. And just remember, love. Love your neighbor. You cannot go wrong when you love your neighbor. This is it. This is what I've been saying. And I also think he's saying, you have such a good father. Extend what you have been given. Love others. So I'd say, ladies, let's judge well. Let's pause in our spirit when people come up to us that we want to judge harshly. And remember what has been given to us. Let's judge well. Let's love well. Because that's what our Father asks us to do. And we all are his children. We want to follow and obey him. He asks us to love. All right, let's close with prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount. We are not here to flounder. We have direction. We know what you want, what the expectation is, and we also know that you're ending it and just saying, come to me. I'm here. If you have a question, come to me, daughters. That's what you're saying, and I thank you for that. I thank you for being accessible. I thank you that little old me is able to come to you. Thank you for your forgiveness and your compassion. Lord, I love you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.